it slightly out of order. So we'll hear what you have to say and then we'll okay. sing a couple songs after she's done. Well, good morning, Crown Hill Mennonite Church. Okay, so I'm going to ask for just a little bit of audience participation here. Um, so this morning, I'm tired. Anybody else? Show of hands. Anybody? Be honest. Okay, so I'm not alone in this. It has been a week, y'all. Um, much of it has been very, very, very good, but it's also been a lot. And so we're here, and we're tired. Um, but we are here. We're not at home, sleeping in. Um, we are here because we have decided that being a part of this community this morning, being together to honor God and support one another is also very, very important. So now I'm going to ask for just a little bit more honesty from y'all, which I understand is a bit of a risk coming from someone who is a relative stranger. Um, but I'm going to ask anyway. So any of you, at any point this week, have you been just exhausted or overwhelmed or burned out or just felt completely done? Anybody? At least once. Okay, like at least twice. More than three times? Anybody? It happens, y'all. It happens. Okay, so you get the picture. We are exhausted a lot of the time. Daily life in capitalist America is just kind of exhausting for all of us. But oftentimes, it is the women who tend to bear what feminist scholars call the mental load of it. The remembering. What bills need to be paid when? Did we remember to get a sitter for a week from Friday? What are, where are we going to be spending Thanksgiving? Where are we going to be spending Christmas? Did I remember to send a thank you note for that gift I got? Did I remember to pick up a card for that wedding that I'm going to? To get groceries and plan meals so that the family will have healthy food to eat this week? Who has what activities and where and when? Have I called my mom recently? When was the last time any of us went to the dentist? When is my nephew's birthday again? The women are, very often, the rememberers. If this sounds like any of you, like the monologue that's constantly chasing itself around the inside of your head, I have got good news for you. You are not alone. Martha gets you. Martha is your girl. She is a champion doer. Where we open this morning in the book of Luke, all we know is that Jesus and his disciples are traveling, and they wind up in Bethany near the home of Martha and her sister Mary. Martha, being a friend of Jesus, opens up their home to Jesus and the disciples that he's traveling with. And this is all we know. In the verses right before this, Jesus is wrapping up the parable of the Good Samaritan. Right after, he's teaching his disciples the prayer that we will come to know as the Lord's Prayer. This story doesn't quite seem to fit with the rest, but Luke, and only Luke, the story doesn't appear in any of the other Gospels, deems it important. And I, for one, am very, very glad that he did. Upon the arrival of Jesus and his friends, Martha sets to work. She gets right down to the preparations that need to be made for her guests. I bet you doers here can already picture it, and it might be stressing you out just a little. 
the cooking and the cleaning and the getting beds prepared, the setting out linens, making sure there will be enough breakfast in the morning for everyone, and so on and so on and so on. We don't know how many folks Jesus arrived with, but it's probably a few. It's probably not just Jesus. And there is work to be done, and so Martha jumps right in and does all of it. She might be exhausted already, but Jesus is her friend, and these are just the things that we do for the people that we love. In this story, Martha is doing everything right. Given the time and the place, there are not a lot of career paths readily available to women. They might be nurses or midwives. They might serve in the houses of wealthier folks. They might be professional singers or mourners or maybe both. A rare few were merchants or ran their own businesses. And that was about it. Mostly, women ran the household, and Martha here is just leaning into her training, having learned these skills from her mother and grandmothers and aunties and countless other community members. Martha is the consummate hostess. Her skill in this area should be commended, and yet, it's not. And honestly, sometimes when I read this story, I'm a little bit offended by it like mildly infuriated even. Martha has gone to all of this trouble while her sister sits on the floor with the guys, and are you kidding me, Martha does not even get so much as a thank you. Martha has put in the time and the work, and instead, it is her sister Mary who Jesus says has chosen what is better. But hear me when I say this to you especially you doers among us. It is not because Martha's work is not important. It is not because Martha's work has gone unnoticed. It is not because Martha's work doesn't matter. It is because there's something else entirely going on here. The Jewish education system in Judea at the time of Jesus was, in a word, intense. Students first started attending school when they were six or seven years old, and these first levels were open to both boys and girls, though it was mostly boys who attended. Each student who finished this first level, by about the age of 10, memorized the entire Torah. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, memorized by age 10. If the girls made it this far, they often didn't advance past it, and the ones who did were likely members of wealthy families tutored at home. At this point, many students returned home to learn the family trade, boys to carpentry or fishing, or to learning a specific craft that would take years to master, and girls to the work of tending the home. The boys that advanced in school, however, went on to learn by heart the entire rest of the Hebrew Bible. The boys that advanced past this point, once all of this was done and memorized, would then apply to a specific rabbi to learn from him, to be a disciple. The rabbi would then ask questions of these students, grilling them to see if they had what it takes. If the kid doesn't quite have it, 
They would return home and continue learning his chosen trade, or, more likely, the trade chosen for him. But if they do, if that kid has the it factor, and the rabbi thinks that this kid, this teenage boy, could someday do what he does, that rabbi would ask the boy to follow him. That boy, usually in his early teens, would leave everything and devote his life to following in the footsteps of his rabbi. These boys were the very best of the very best that, that came out of the Jewish education system. Jesus' disciples were decidedly not that. The young men that Jesus called were already working in or continuing to learn a trade. They hadn't been deemed good enough to have made it that far in school. They weren't good enough to be following a rabbi, but they were good enough for Jesus. These disciples of Jesus, these guys that weren't quite good enough to make it with any other rabbi, Jesus calls to follow him. And these guys follow Jesus from town to town, witnessing miracles and sitting at Jesus' feet and soaking in his teaching, marveling at the fact that they had been chosen for this work. This band of guys arrives in Bethany at the home of Mary and Martha, where they are invited in and make themselves at home. Martha busies herself with the work of the house, and the men settle in once more to hear what Jesus has to say. They simply can't get enough of it. And right in the middle of this scene, exactly where she's not supposed to be, sits Mary. Y'all, I like rules. I like them very, very much. Before I play a new board game, I like to know exactly what the rules are, exactly how to play so I don't embarrass myself in front of the other players. Learning as I go is not a thing that I enjoy doing. When I was in elementary school, a group of friends and I decided it would be fun to try and tunnel our way under the fence um, at the playground to see if we could escape during recess. Of course, we got caught almost immediately, but we were allowed to continue, provided that even if we found a way to escape, no one actually would, and that we filled in the hole as soon as we were done. So I held my little band of friends to these rules, and I worked as a lookout to make sure everyone abided by them, and no one tried to join us who wasn't going to abide by the rules as well. As a result, we dug and filled in the same hole every single day at recess for weeks. As Monica on the show Friends likes to say, the rules control the fun. And yet, here in this story from Luke, all of these rules seem to just fly out the window. Everyone is doing what they're supposed to be doing. Martha, readying the house. Jesus, teaching. Disciples, listening. Everyone except for Mary. Martha is outraged that her sister has abandoned her post, so to speak, and complains to Jesus about it. Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to prepare the table all by myself? Tell her to help me. If you have siblings, you can hear the resentment here. You can almost taste the vitriol in Martha's words. You can also imagine that Jesus' reply is the last thing that she expects to hear. Well, while Mary is the one out of place, Mary shirking her duties, Jesus tells Martha that Mary has chosen better. His answer has to sting a little bit for Martha. Martha. 
It stings a little for me sometimes. I imagine it stings for many of us sitting here this morning that identify far more often with Martha than we do with Mary. Like Martha, we Mennonites are also champion doers. We pour our time and money and talents into work that helps others. A tornado or a flood or an earthquake happens, and MDS is there to help assess the situation and rebuild after. A remote community needs access to clean drinking water. MCC is all over it. Mennonite young people give a year or two of their lives to help wherever they're needed in Mennonite voluntary service. A new mom needs meals brought in, and within a day or two, that meal train sign-up sheet is full. I needed helping hands when I moved last January, and so I asked our church secretary to send out an email, and people showed up. Hundreds of hands piece and sew quilts, and an entire community comes together to make egg rolls. And every year, over and over again, around the country, Relief Sales will raise thousands of dollars to invest in the communities around the world that need it the most. We Mennonites know how to do. We don't need Martha to show us how it's done. Y'all, we are Martha. And that's why Jesus' response here stings just a little. But I don't think that it's meant to. Listen to the way that Jesus answers Martha's accusations of her sister's unhelpfulness. Martha, Martha, you are worried and distracted by many things. One thing is necessary. Martha has chosen the better part. It won't be taken away from her. There, there is no harsh rebuke of Martha's actions here, but a gentle observation and correction. Martha, Martha, Jesus says. The repetition of her name could, in certain circumstances, sound a little bit condescending, but I don't think that it's meant to. Jesus sees Martha. He understands her frustration, and he is speaking out of love. He wants her to see what he sees. While Jesus' answer might surprise us a little bit, the Gospels offer no reason why it should. Jesus' treatment of both of these sisters is consistent with Jesus' actions and message throughout the Gospels. Jesus was never great at conforming to the norms of society that governed his time. He chose for his disciples the ones that weren't good enough for other rabbis. He ate with tax collectors and with sinners. At one point, he called a group of religious leaders a brood of vipers. He often spoke with women who were considered other or less than. He counted among his friends and disciples and supporters women. It was, in fact, women who were the first proclaimers of the gospel of the the risen Christ, which is why it should come as no surprise at all to us that Jesus is just fine with Mary sitting at his feet and listening to him teach, and he even praises her for it. As for Martha, her mistake isn't in her doing all of the things, or even in the motivations behind her busyness. Her friend is in town, and he needs a place to stay, and she wants to help. I imagine that a lot of us in the same situation would do the exact same thing. But we are, a lot of us, very busy people, with a lot going on and a lot of balls in the air, 
between personal and professional and family responsibilities and social obligations, routine car maintenance, and trying to have hobbies and finding time to exercise and keeping our homes in order and wanting to do good for the folks around us because so many of us are helpers by nature. It often feels like if we lose focus for even a second, all of it is going to come crashing down around us. None of these things in themselves are bad things. Where we run into trouble is when we allow ourselves to be so distracted by them that we forget. That we forget to stop and sit at the feet of Jesus and listen. Which is one of the reasons that we are all here this morning, despite being very tired people from our very busy weeks, to stop to sit at the feet of Jesus, to listen, to rest. Amen. Instead of number 87, we'll do 545 next. Be Thou My Vision. And again, I invite you to stand as we sing. And then right after 545, we'll sing 425. So let's stand and sing, Be Thou My Vision. Um. 